Our Father, we would pray that you could intercede with us now, grant to us a sweet message about your grace. Uh, Father, we are this most unusual uh, creature. We are We talk about grace, and yet we live as if we don't need it. We talk about forgiveness, but we live as if we don't need it. So uh, help us to um, really be on the edge of our seats to rediscover what this means, that you have been gracious to us. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Katie, it's a little bit hot up here. So drop me down a little bit, a little bit. Okay, good, because I can always amp it up. I can do that on my own. So, uh, By the way, if it gets warmer in here, that's my hot air uh, just filling the room. So, All right, here we go. We're doing a th- series called The Grace Vibe. The Grace Vibe. Whenever you are around someone, you sense their vibe. You sense this sort of this tangible, a little bit intangible communication. There's something going on. It's, something's always happening, always communicating. A person can communicate they're bored. A person can communicate they're angry, uh, ir- irritated. Many, many things can happen in, in the vibe that we communicate. So throughout the series, the series in the summer, we're going to talk about this grace vibe. Like, how do we come across? I don't want to make you more self-conscious than you may already feel, okay? So that's not my goal. Um, but I want this gospel to I want this gospel to percolate deep down where we live, and that we would be we would be changed in the because of the gospel, and we would be gospelish uh, toward people. If there's such a word, we would be we would be more sensitive to our own need, and let that sensitivity translate into graciousness to other people. This really is the epicenter for. Grace. It's it's a remarkable passage. Thinking you may be familiar with it. If you're new to the Christian faith or you're not a Christian here, let me assure you, this is the place to start if you want to understand the Christian gospel. When we use the word gospel, this the gospel means good news. When I'm preparing a sermon, I have to ask myself, Todd, are you going to tell them any good news? Oh, yes, you can exhort them, you can put pressure on them, you can guilt them, you can shame them. I try not to do those things. But, Todd, are you going to give them any good news? Now, really what happens in this passage, there's a lot going on in this passage, and it really kind of preaches by itself, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. It's a remarkable passage where... Jesus just defines so clearly what grace is, and we're going to explore that. What's going on in the passage is this woman has been touched by God's grace. She has no doubt heard the message of Jesus, and she has been trying to figure out where he is. She is aware of his grace and mercy toward her. She has been tracking him down. And what I want to propose to you is, there's many things here this morning, but one getting us started here is this, is as she is weeping and as she is anointing his feet with this, uh, her tears and the perfume, the ointment, I want to suggest to you that she is, she's, she's improvising. What does it look like to give thanks to Jesus? 
well, there's really no, is there a manual for this? Do I look on page six for this? This is an improvisation. It's kind of like what a jazz musician does. Some of you follow jazz music, and you know that at some point, I've seen live jazz performances, and you can hear this on, on, on uh, MP3s or t- tapes or however you listen to your music. Um, a jazz performance almost always includes some point when the piano player will now do a solo, or the, the trumpet player, or the saxophonist, right? We all know that these points, and if you're, a, if you're an in-tune audience, you always make sure you clap at, after that solo, because largely, while it's sort of practiced, it's also, imp- there's improvisation going on. That a jazz musician understands the melody and the tempo and the rhythm and all that's going on, and then, and they call it, I don't know why I know this, they call that a person who starts, and you get a little bit bored with the, the rhythm and the beat, and right, and then all of a sudden you start coming up with your own da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You, know, you, you start hearing something else in your mind that could be played. That's called a jazz cat, by the way. That means that you're just sitting around going, I got it, I got it, let me play now, let me play, I got it, I got it, let me play, right? Well, uh, we're all supposed to be jazz cats with the gospel. That means as you hear me preach, you hear me do this stuff, some of you should be tapping your foot going, okay, I got it, 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 let me play it, man, let me play it. This means that you're, you're getting the rhythm of the gospel, you're getting the, you're getting the vibe of it, you see? And now you go out and improvise. Go improvise at Starbucks. Go improvise at Foodland. Go improvise at Costco. Commissary. Wherever you shop. You see, you're in the rhythm of the gospel. Now what she is in, this woman, this is so remarkable, is that she is experiencing emotionally the impact of grace, and she's trying to figure out, what do I have? What do I got? What can I give him back? I got to give him back something. I got to respond to this. So she's improvising. Well, well, I got it. I got my tears, and I got this precious perfumed ointment. So improvisation is really what we're we're called to do. And this is what's remarkable: is that God, in His multifaceted grace toward us, God by the Spirit is working to do this. He's leading us, and as we enjoy and sense and savor the gospel, we we begin to pick up its vibe, we begin to pick up its goodness, we begin to lean into conversations, we begin to move towards strangers, we begin to enjoy kind of the courageous, risky kind of life because we are not so concerned about how others are perceiving us because we've got to let this music out. So this is a story of contrasts. I mean, you can feel it, can't you? Simon the Pharisee, I mean, you know it's, it's going to be a rough story. And Simon the Pharisee, like, oh man, this is going to be a rough one, right? And by the way, you know, you're, when you're reading your Bible, <laughs> I'm so glad this didn't happen to me. I, so, in one sense, I'm glad I was never born during Bible times, and especially time during Jesus' time. Here's why. I would not want Jesus to come over to my house and then go, Todd, I have a story for you. <laughs> so that's just not a good moment. It's not, it's not going to go well, right? So here we are. It's a story of contrast. And we have Simon the Pharisee. 
And <laughs> this is so, there's a sadness in me. And there's this, I can't, I can't, I can't believe how real Luke was when he recorded this. Did he, she doesn't even get a name. She doesn't even get a name. And uh, it's a story of the, the contrast of legalism and grace between deadly, uninviting, and cold legalism and rich, warm, expressive grace. Religion versus grace. Religion versus the gospel. Now, here's the setting. Here's the deal. A traveling rabbi was someone who was to be revered, well-educated in the scriptures, and would have been in need of a place to stay or a place to have a meal, what was going on here is this. It's sort of like a, someone giving a lecture, and then you have the professor over at your house for dinner, and you get to ask questions of the lecture that you heard. This was going on here. So the traveling rabbi is at a house, and he's invited. He, he's, Simon has invited his Pharisee friends, the scribes, religious leaders, but also it's sort of a public meeting. So there's a sense in which, what's she doing here, right? But it's actually, if you hear about this, you can come to the meeting. Now, you may not have a place around the, the dinner thing, but you can, you can stand on the sides because it's sort of an open thing where you can ask the rabbi your questions. Now, uh, I've actually seen one of these uh, plates that they used. Um, they're, they're reclining, and they're eating, and you say, how do they do that? You know, and it's in all likelihood they didn't have a individual plates, but they had a ridiculously large plate, like five feet across. I've seen this in, in Roman uh, uh, Diocletian's palace in Split, Croatia. You can see one of these, and uh, this is how they ate in the ancient Near East in the Roman Empire. It was a big plate, and the servants would come and plop the food down. Some of you can't imagine this. And you just lean in, and it's a big, big plate of food, and there's like 12, 15 people around it, and everyone's kind of leaning in and grabbing stuff that they want. And your feet are back over here, right? And that's where she stood, and that's where she bent down, that's where she was anointing his feet with, with the perfume. Now, the woman expresses her love and her thankfulness. Simon expresses his skepticism in his heart. She's kissing his feet. She anoints his feet with the perfume. And then we're brought into, <laughs> this is why it would be so dangerous to be around Jesus, because he knows what you're thinking. I mean, that's, like, that's unfair. It feels unfair. And... So he knows what Simon's thinking, and then he sets up this uh, Simon's thinking, precisely these words recorded for Luke. Here it is. If this man were a prophet, uh, subtext, truly a holy man, uh, he would know, see, so we're doubting his credentials as a prophet. He would know what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner, verse 39. 
So we're brought into this big if in Simon's heart, if. Now, there's no if in the woman's heart. She doesn't have any doubts about Jesus' credentials. <laughs> but there's a big if in Simon's heart. Can you, sense, can you sense someone's vibe when they have an if toward you? If you really got your stuff and you, you military people who have to establish your credibility every, what, 24 hours, right? Right. Ever since that vibe, you know, all you've achieved and they, you, you still haven't quite got it because your commanding officer still has a bunch of ifs about you. <clears throat> Jesus is the ultimate prophet who's about to declare something remarkable. The forgiveness, forgiveness of sins can be known now. Now. You just didn't say those things. You waited till Judgment Day on those things. Good rabbis never presumed about Judgment Day. You just didn't do that. Who knows about Judgment Day? Who knows what's going to happen? You know, best to you. Uh, do well. It's a future thing. No one can have assurance that you're going to pass Judgment Day. Jesus said, that's why I'm here. I'm here to let you know now what the future will reveal. That's why we worship. That's why we gather. We have news that will be announced at the end of the age. This is why Jesus has come. And if you study the Gospels, you notice he takes particular delight in doing this. In front of skeptical crowds, he proclaims the most unlikely of people forgiven. Now, we're also aware, in a sense, of the woman's thoughts, though she doesn't say anything. We know that she is thinking gratitude. She's thinking, I am astonished that news that I never thought imaginable would be known to me, that I could be forgiven. One thinks that they can hide their thoughts from Jesus, and the other is unafraid to express their thoughts to Jesus. One believes that their whole life will justify them Another believes that their whole life would condemn them. And then there's a special parable for Simon. It's a, it's a parable about debt. Um, have you ever felt debt, financial debt? That's real, isn't it? Doesn't, it's, it's hard to make it go away, isn't it? <laughs> and we have all these commercials that promise us that somehow these people will... will take away this debt, and that sounds real appealing, but debt is not a fun place to be. It's a story about two who owe a lender money, and they are unable to pay. And of course, Jesus highlights how the one who was owed more was forgiven, and thus they love more. It's really the key to his, his parable. And he makes Simon say it. He makes Simon say it. And so the story is about the vibe of grace. The vibe of grace. You see, there's a vibe going on in the room, and no one can deny it. It's there. It's emotional. It is uh, palpable, unavoidable. It is the expression of love. And Jesus says in verse 47, she has grasped. Her forgiveness well. How do we know? She's loving well. 
And verse 48 is stunning. Jesus pauses and unashamedly declares to her a status that no one else in the room could say that they had. She comes in the room and she is the one without status. She doesn't have a name. Your side margin in your Bibles will translate sinner into immoral woman. So she does, she's out, she's a, 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 has no societal or social standing. She's never been invited anywhere. Can you think of, imagine? She's never been honored. She's never been included. <laughs> and the one thing, no one, I mean, there's no way, of all the people here, I can vote for one who's never going to be qualified before God's judgment. I, I, can, I can find her in the room. And Jesus says, no, it, this is the, the most unlikely one has the true and most important status. She's forgiven. Verse 48, I declare to you that her sins are forgiven. Now, there's an interesting thing developing here. There's a big church in Rome that teaches that do you see what's going on here? She has earned her justification. Do you see how that could be developed from that passage? Not so fast. Because Jesus is declaring her to be forgiven because she is showing the evidence or the fruit of genuine faith and repentance. Those are not meritorious works. So she is demonstrating that at some point she believed the gospel and now she's come to this gathering at this house in order to thank Jesus for what she is already perceiving. She is forgiven, but she needs to hear the words of assurance. And so Jesus declares her justified. We want to be careful of the theology of the first glance. There's an old line from uh, John, John Gerstner, uh, who mentored R.C. Sproul. Be careful of the theology of the first glance. Jesus sides with the contrite of spirit, the broken, the desperate. <clears throat> Simon is still at that place of, well, if. If he, if he really knew if you really knew what he was looking at, see, if you really knew, if you could really uh, size this person up, he would not ever let sin associate uh, with him. Uh, by the way, uh, when you're around legalism, you feel it first. <laughs> you feel it. It's like, what is the deal here? I don't know. What, the, what, what was that? That was a strange vibe. I feel judged. I don't know what that was. It was... You always are feeling legalism. Now, here's another strange little thought. If you're going to form a religion, make sure that you're the one who makes all the rules, right? Right? So you can dispense these rules to other people. I'm just being very facetious. I guess that's going to be on the tape. Oh, well, here we go. So, this thought captures the inner circle around the, the dinner around the big plate. 
Now, likely around this inner circle is the scribes and Pharisees, the buddies of Simon, and they begin to talk to themselves. This is the culmination where Jesus declares, verse 48, your sins have been forgiven. And then he, doubled, he doubles down on this as if it's not clear enough. He speaks again. This is Jesus, verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And around the table they're saying, who is this that even declares people are forgiven? Now let me define for you the title of this sermon, Gospel Astonishment. Um, it is a whole life response interacting with the sheer grace of God. Grace has become grace, real grace. Not earned, not owed, not finagled. This creates a vibe in us. We've got what we need. This grace is defanging us from our biting and devouring tendencies toward others. God's welcome creates a welcoming vibe in us. I have room for you, for God has room for me. It is the heart abandonment to the treasure that is Christ's embrace of the sinner who is now aware of themselves and God's pursuit of them. The grace vibe. Gospel astonishment is the constant faith work of the Christian heart to beat down and reduce in the power of the Spirit all sense of entitlement, prestige, power, and status. Beat it down with the power of the Spirit. This means that we are to work by faith to say, Lord, I am not all that. Yes, they gave me this title in the military, but really, I am just a desperate sinner saved by grace. And for these moments in my life, I have this rank in, my, in the military, this tiny moment called my life. Whatever you are trusting in, what is your prestige, what is your power, what, gives, what makes your life work? Simon has, he woke up that day and he had energy. He had a place for Jesus, and it wasn't the central place in his heart. It was just a place over there. Come on in, barely. Welcome, barely. I'm not sure about you. What's remarkable also is that the one who's concerned about holiness is actually not Simon. It's the it's a sinful woman. The irony is the one who gets holiness is not the one who's preparing is is the host. I mean that that's to me that's the most insightful thing of the whole thing is that the one who gets holiness is contrite and broken. The one who doesn't get holiness is judgmental and distant. One believes their whole life will justify them. The other one believes their whole life will condemn them. Imagine what will come from a person who realizes their debt is forgiven. I worry sometimes in Christian circles. Forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. Eh, Is that a big deal? Is that a big deal? It's interesting. The New Testament's the biggest deal going. 
It's the biggest deal. It's the crashing into the kingdom. That's what it looks like. I'm not sure. Christian circles, the forgiveness of sins. Is there anything else that astonishes us or we would seek to be astonished by? Simon's vibe is noticeable. It's cold. Her vibe is noticeable. It's warm. Simon has cultural standards by which the rabbi will be judged. You know how Paul tells the Corinthians that um, that the, the the gospel preaching sounds like foolishness, right? It sounds like foolishness. The cultural standard is how can someone on a cross save me? That's just that's just like some filthy sinner on a cross. What is that? How does that work? The cultural standard. We will not receive God as he presents himself in the scriptures. We fold our arms and we give him our judgment. Perhaps if he meets my standards, I will give him more credit. The coldness of Simon communicates that Jesus must earn status with Simon. The warmth of the woman communicates that he needs no earning of any status with her. She has no standards to put upon him. And she has rested only in his words as the power of God for salvation. She doesn't need advice, assistance, coaching. She needs forgiveness. No doubt if years later, imagine this, I just thought about this. Imagine years later that she is hearing the gospel preached. Maybe she's in a church in Jerusalem years and years later, and she is hearing the gospel preached. Will the grace vibe, will the grace vibe that she experienced that day at Simon's house be communicated in that church? And would she say, yes, that's the vibe. That's what I heard, and that's what I felt when I trusted him. He came for the outcast, the unrighteous. That was me, and that is the rabbi I met that day. That's the one I heard preach good news. The gospel astonishment starts with a longing. It's a clear sense that I am not whole There's trouble inside. Yes, I am messed up, but something is far deeper. I need to be restored. I need a whole new way of thinking about myself. I am a caterpillar in a ring of fire. And it will not help me to hear just coaching, advice, principles for good living. It will not help me. My situation is that I need a radical rescue from above. I do not want to be just encouraged to walk in my own power. I tried that. And look where it left me. You see, what Simon thinks essentially is this. And here's his real judgment. Uh, Not only, I'm guessing, does he wonder, how on earth did she get in here in my house? This is my guess. When people are sort of aware of their, of their failings. 
they get the message, by the way. Uh, when people feel their brokenness and they, when they feel their ostracism, being ostracized, when they feel that, they, they get it. They get it. And you know, I believe that Simon really was wishing that she would just stay socially dead. Nah, these, these kind of people don't deserve to live. And my message to them is social ostracizing. She shouldn't be here. This is the holiness club. She should be banished from the clean and the upright. This is a story about Jesus' accessibility. His willingness to be touched by this broken humanity. This true condition of sinners, not a polished up one, not one with makeup and looking good. This is the true humanity. This is the real deal. This is why he became enfleshed. He's willing to be touched by it, to be felt and to be known. He wants to know our condition. And gospel astonishment is this. The unthinkable happened. Jesus socially died. And he died in every possible social way. The father was no longer communicating to him his, his affirmation and his love on the cross. People were mocking him. He's in between heaven and earth in no man's land. The vibe of the legalists, the judgment, was given its opportunity with Jesus. And they always thought he didn't belong. And God in his masterful plan said, okay, we'll give you some time when you can have your will against my son. And the vibe that is here in Luke 7 manifests itself in nails and abandonment. We should have been the rejected ones. He became the rejected one. He was not only touched by this woman, but in a far greater sense, he was touched by sin. Our Bible say in Corinthians that he became sin for us. So deep and so intimate is his connection to us that he bore our rejection our shame, and our exclusion. This is, the, this is the stuff of gospel astonishment. Pray for me. This is the most important stuff I must work on. And this is the most important stuff you must work on. And imagine the vibe that communicates through us, verbally, non-verbally, in the way we conduct ourselves, so safe we are in the love of Jesus. Let's do it. Let's pray.
You were willing, oh Jesus, to be alone and ostracized beyond our imagination. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Lord Jesus, God eternal in human form. Thank you. We don't worship you like we should. We don't esteem you like we should. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to stop evaluating you. To stop, to stop wondering if you are good enough toward us. Speak to us, Lord. Show us your cross outside of that city that rejected you. And show us your love. Give us tears of joy and of repentance. Be with your people, God. Father, for those who do not yet believe, help them to know. Help them to cast themselves upon Jesus who is willing, willing that they would come. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.